As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. everyone thanks for tuning into the alarmist a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest tragedies and figure out who's to blame today we're discussing the iroquois theater fire here's what you need to know opened on november 27 1903 the iroquois theater on west randolph street in chicago illinois was a sight to see opulent and modern for its time Architect Benjamin H. Marshall had patterned it after the famous Opera Comique in Paris. No expense was spared. It cost $1.1 million to build, just under $30 million in today's money. The six-story building had huge twin Corinthian columns in its exterior and chandeliers and gold-painted 53-foot ceilings inside. It also boasted a state-of-the-art backstage with over 30 individual dressing rooms and an elevator. 
only 30 years earlier, the Great Chicago Fire of 1871 had killed over 300 people and decimated over three square miles of the city. Following that, there had been others, including the Columbian Exposition Fire of 1893. For that reason, many marveled at the Iroquois Theater because it was advertised as being, quote, absolutely fireproof. (sighs) Why would you ever say that? December 30th, less than five weeks after the theater had opened its doors to the public, was a chilly Chicago winter day. The Iroquois Theater was filled with teachers, mothers, and children enjoying a matinee during the holiday break. Over 1,700 people had gathered to watch a production of Mr. Bluebeard. A musical adaptation of a Grimm's fairy tale where a French lord tells his wife not to look in a closet, only for her to disobey him and find the bodies of his past seven wives inside. In this musical version, the wives were miraculously restored to life a happy ending deemed suitable for younger audiences. The play featured aerial acts, dancers, actors masquerading as animals, and one of the most popular Irish-American song and dance men of his time, Eddie Foy. It was a spectacular show. Early in the second act came one of the biggest numbers in the production, titled The Pale Moonlight. Sixteen chorus members took the stage, and the house and stage lights were darkened. A spotlight, meant to represent the moon, followed the actors as they sang their number. William McCullen, a lighting operator, quoted in Portsmouth Evening News on January 2, 1904, described what happened next. Quote, In the middle of the second act, as I changed the lights from white to blue the arc between the carbons sputtered and struck the frayed edge of the inside border of the curtain drapery, and a flame 12 inches long shot up. I clapped my hands on it, but it spread in spite of me. I then called to have the fire curtain lowered and yelled, Fire! Help! A house fireman came with a patent extinguisher, which had no effect. The sparks from the spotlight had ignited a swaying piece of scenery. Actors and audience members alike began to scream and flee as they realized the fire could not be contained. They bolted toward the exit doors, but many were hard to find in the darkness. Those in the balcony found themselves trapped. Metal accordion gates had been locked at balcony entrances to keep upper-level patrons from sneaking down to the pricier seats during intermissions. Those who could find an exit pushed themselves through choke points. Foy, who had not been on stage when the fire started, came out to try and help the agitated audience exit in a calm manner. He instructed the orchestra members, those who hadn't already escaped, to play an overture. Foy's pleas, as well as the music, seemed to help at least those in the main floor. Many were trampled in the rush to get out, but most made it out alive. This was not the case for the 900 people sitting in the balcony seats. Only a few of them were able to escape without injury. Watching from the stage, Foy wrote in his memoirs that he saw in the upper levels a, quote, mad animal-like stampede. Their screams, groans, and snarls, the scuffle of thousands of feet and bodies grinding against bodies, merging into a crescendo, half-wail, half-roar. Many unable to find a way out jumped to their death. Some who jumped later survived the fall only because they landed on the bodies of those who had jumped before them. By the time the firefighters arrived, 15 minutes after the fire had started, what they found was a horrific scene. Hundreds of people had clamored over each other to try to reach the door, only to worsen the situation by jamming the doors shut from the weight of the crowds pressing against them. Those who weren't suffocated by the crush most likely died from smoke inhalation or burn wounds. It is estimated that 602 people perished that day, many of them women and children. 
It took firemen only 30 minutes to take down the flames, as most of the building's combustible material had already been consumed. Multiple nearby businesses, including Thompson's Restaurant, were used as temporary morgues to hold the catastrophic amount of casualties. The tragic Iroquois Theater fire is credited as being one of the events that would later inspire fire safety regulations still in place today. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats. Dr. Frank Norbury wrote in a matinee to remember... The theater had seats for about 1,700, and there were about 250 in standing room that afternoon. The cast of Mr. Bluebeard was huge, about 250 players, and there were an additional 250 stagehands, technicians, and ushers in the wings. Thus, the theater contained some 2,400 people on that occasion. Only one cast member died in the fire. Nellie Reed, an aerialist who sailed across the stage to the balcony showering the audience with flower petals during the shows, was trapped on her high wire above the stage. Of the audience of 1,900, 575, that's 30%, were killed, 212 of them children, 76 of whom were age 10 or under. Another 25 people died later from burns and injuries. Adam Groves of Illinois Library wrote, At one locked exit, firefighters counted 200 bodies stacked 10 high and 20 deep. Don Gillen wrote in Stage Beauty, in the black hours after the fire had been extinguished, the best and worst sides of human nature came to the fore. A few ghoulish opportunists mingled with the rescuers to move among the dead and dying, liberating them of their cash, jewelry, and furs. One of these individuals, caught by the police, was found to have in his bag the ears of several women, which he had sliced from their unfortunate owners in order to obtain their earrings. With us today, we have producer Amanda Lund... Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Alarmy. Fact checker, Chris Smith. Hello. And our very special guest today is Betsy Stover. Hi, Betsy. Hello. (laughs) Betsy is the host of Why Mommy Drinks podcast. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about your show? Oh, thank you. Um, Mm -hmm. So Why Mommy Drinks is a weekly comedy podcast. And each episode, I and whoever is the guest or whoever is my co-host, we all share a story of a time that parenthood like broke us uh, into <laughs> shells of our human, of our former human selves and drove us to drink, literally or figuratively. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, and and by the end, it's a, it's a nice reminder that no one knows what they're doing. And even people who seem like they have it together, uh, you know, it's a, it's a shit show at home too. I can swear, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. No. <laughs> Betsy, we like to ask our guests right off the bat, um, what is something that is giving you anxiety these days or keeping you up at night? I mean, I feel like I haven't slept or felt calm for like five years. Uh, Wow, pre-pandemic, huh? (laughs) I mean, I don't want to get too political, but, um, you know, Trump got into office and I was like, that's cool. I need to be on antidepressants. And um, (laughs) I I thought we were all on the same page as a nation. Guess not. Cool. Um, And then, um, and then, yeah. Yes, pandemic. So and the uh, election and all of that. So yeah, I feel like I've been anxious uh, and not sleeping uh, for a for a while. Yeah. Well, you know, we hope you can uh, sleep at night uh, soon. <laughs> Thank you. But I yeah, will say I- this: this episode is not going to help you sleep at night. Mm. No. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, Betsy, but one of the most terrible episodes we've done in a long time. Uh, just tragic casualty yeah. wise, you know, and that's why we wanted to have you on the show. <gasps> oh, well, mm. I am a bit of a true crime buff, uh, and uh, tragedies and crime is something I 
is enjoy the right word? I don't think so, but um, they're fascinating. Not, right, mm-hmm. interest. It's, yeah. it's something of interest. Yeah, like this has this has elements of triangle shirtwaist. There's totally. all sorts of, you know, no spoilers. But No, but, you know, I, I the whole time I was researching this, I couldn't get past the fact that the tri- Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire happened in 1911, which <gasps> means it was eight years later. <gasps> it's so sad um, because... I know that there were a lot of regulations that came out of it. And, and let me read a, an eyewitness account of a woman who was at the theater. And this came out January 1st, 1904. So literally two days later on the, uh, in the Atlanta Constitution. And Miss Anne Woodward says, I was in the second balcony and clearly saw the fire. I am a large woman weighing close to 180 pounds. Oh, and I made bless. it up. And I made up my mind that if there was going to be a panic, it would be wise for me to beat it to the street. I left my seat in the balcony, went down, th- went down the stairs to the first balcony, and from there started to pass out the very door in which so many people were killed wow. a few moments later. Wow! The door was closed, and a man on the outside refused to <gasps> open it so that I could <gasps> not, so that I could pass out. Whoa. Whether he was a, an employee of the theater or not, I don't know, but he had evidently determined that no one should leave the theater, and in doing so, he started a panic. I was leaving quietly up to this time, but when he refused to allow, it, allow me to pass peaceably, I determined to pass out if, if I had to make all sorts of noise. I went along the balcony about 10 feet to a glass partition and smashed <gasps> it with the point of my umbrella. I love this woman. Go, go Anne. She is so bad. She's yeah. like, I'm a She's- big girl and I'm not fucking around. I'm out of here. <laughs> totally. So she says, I went out and down the stairs. When I was about halfway down, I heard the roar of the crowd as it came after me and I hurried with all the speed I had. They overtook me, however, <gasps> knocked me down. <gasps> and But for the fact that I was close to the door i think my chance of life would have been almost nothing as it was i think i must have walked the last 10 feet of my passage to the exit on the bodies of those (gasps) who had fallen oh my god talk about trauma of course after the fire this is according to the chicago uh death trap book by journalist nat brandt everybody afterward was washing their hands of responsibility it was such a total loss of life that they didn't want to be connected to it if possible. The task of, of proving culpability became hopelessly complex. The myriad of problems that that day turned into an algebra of lame, a Ooh, blame. I like that phrase. Yeah, an algebra of blame. I'm going to so use that many- at home when my kids uh, blame each other. <laughs> <laughs> They're gonna be like, "What? What are you talking about, mom?" <laughs> yeah, they'll like it because it has math in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that'll really speak to their sensibilities. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Just like, get out. Math? Did you say, mother? <laughs> um, so many had failed to carry out their duties that no one source could be correct, concretely assigned sole responsibility. An official inquest focused on the theater owners, the architect, and city officials, who in turn were quick to point the fingers, including at the victims themselves. Oh, cool, cool. Well, right off the bat, should we just put those three people up there? The architects, the theater owner, and the yeah. city people? Let's. What was the last word? one? The, oh, the, the city uh, people. The city officials. I said city people. Okay, city <laughs> officials. <laughs> city officials. So let's talk about the owner first. The Iroquois Theater, designed by Benjamin Marshall in a Renaissance style, was highly luxurious and had been, had been deemed fireproof. Upon its oh. opening in 1903. Okay. In fact, <laughs> come on. That's George so Williams, crazy. Chicago Building Commissioner, and Fire Inspector Ed Lachlan looked over the theater in November of 1903 and declared it was fireproof beyond all doubt. George and Ed, put them on the board, Amanda. <laughs> George and George Ed. And Ed Is this it. because, was there something called like an asbestos curtain back Yes, very good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Rebecca, you're such a teacher. Such a teacher. 
Uh, <laughs> algebra, anyone? Um, <laughs> the, yes, the asbestos uh, curtain, which we'll discuss because oh. there were some there were some issues with it. Mm. Um, that was one aspect of it. Also, because it had twenty seven or, or thirty exits. Oh, so it, it had a lot of exits for a building at that time. Now, uh, twenty seven of those were double doors. So that's really good. However, at the same time, William Clendenin, the editor of Fireproof Magazine, which is crazy to me that there was a magazine called Fireproof. He is fun at parties, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess, you know, as we know, people were obsessed with uh, fire was a big deal back then. I mean, as it still is, honestly. We live in California, so um, (laughs) fire... Fireproof magazine has arrived. What's new in the world of fireproofing? (laughs) But sadly, there had been so many building fires. And, you know, literally the city had been decimated by a fire just like 30 years later. So, you know, everyone's got fire on their mind. Um, So this editor says also inspected the Iroquois Theater and wrote a scathing editorial about its fire dangers, pointing out that there was a great deal of wood trim, no fire alarm, and no sprinkler system over the stage. This was before the fire someone wrote that. This is before the fire. Yo. There, out of the 30 exits, 27 were locked. At the time oh. of the fire. Why in the world? Why? Why in the world? What? Because, because they didn't want people coming in and out who hadn't paid for a ticket. Ugh. They also, that was why they had put those metal gates from the balcony to the main floor so that people wouldn't sneak in during intermission oh to the better God. seats. I to mean, keep out the hoi polloi. What about ushers? Like, were there any ushers? There, there were ushers. That's my question, Chris. Yeah. I feel like the oh. ushers aren't doing their jobs. Right. Well, we're jumping around a little bit. Okay. But the ushers, <laughs> just, <laughs> just to go to it, the... According to History.com, the teenage ushers working the theater fled immediately, forgetting to open the locked emergency exit doors. (gasps) The few doors that were able to to, uh, that were able to be forced open were four feet above the sidewalk, four feet above the sidewalk. I'm like people are five feet. That's a lot. So, I mean, sadly, I do think we need to put these teenage ushers up on the board. Uh, okay. They got a big bull, a bullseye on them f- for for I me. Know. Yeah. Oh, um, boy. And oh. Totally. they weren't responsible for locking the door. The, the decision they to lock exactly. the doors. That is, is true. That's crazy. That's true. To but me. also, yeah, so th- these guys yeah. were clearly asleep at the wheel. But also, this is why you maybe don't put underpaid teenagers in yes. positions of... You know, keeping thousands of people's lives uh, safe. I don't totally. know. This yeah. is why flight attendants, like, that's a really important job. You go to, you know, there's a lot of training, safety training that goes with a flight attendant, right? Because not only are you just, like, along for the ride and ushering yeah. people to their seat, you, when the shit hits the fan, they're the ones who take control. And You're right. They're, they're the in case shit. And ushers are there in case shit, which is probably why they're all like unionized by now. Well, yeah. Have you ever? I was an usher when I was like a at a college in New York City at like one of these off Broadway theaters because it was like a cheap, easy job, you know, or or they an easy job. They paid me cheaply, I should say. (laughs) Um, But like, I didn't. There was no training. I barely knew where the fire exits were. Whoa! No. So. Going back to the theater owners, according to Smithsonian, an official inquest focused on the theater's owners, and uh, they turned the fingers to the victims themselves, the owners, Will Davis and Harry J. Powers, issued a statement in the Tribune blaming the audience for panicking, despite being admonished to be calm and avoid any rush. The architect insisted that there was ample exits and people not because had they not been panic stricken and stunned, they would have survived. Post gaming this all out, 
I'm wondering, like, what was the ideal way that they should have reacted? You can't control thousands of people and how they're going to react. You can't tell someone not to panic. That's the best way to get someone to panic. Yeah, it's like if your wife is upset and you tell her to calm down, she's going to burn everything down. I don't know. That always works for me, right? Rebecca, yeah, yeah. It's super it. effective. So we had a listener write in. This is our listener suggestion at Lynn's Olson. And she wrote, jinxing the building. So being billed mm. as absolutely fireproof mm. when it was indeed not fireproof is a bad, is as bad as calling the Titanic unsinkable. Mm. You know, yeah. as we know. Yeah. It, you're just asking for it. <laughs> that goes under Ed and George. I think Ed was the one, Ed Lachlan, the, he was a fire inspector who called it, who jinxed, it, 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 you know, according to Lynn's jinxed. Oh, it. yeah. Let's talk about corruption and, and the city officials. So corruption in Chicago. Smithsonian Magazine says, while a direct link to corruption was never proven in court, the indifference of city officials to... N- known violations contributed to the fact that the theater received only a cursory safety inspection before opening to the public weeks earlier. Mm. Wow. The more things change, the more they stay the same, huh? Ain't that right, Betsy? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like Chicago is still known as sort of a corruptly run place. Are you from Chicago, Betsy? No, but I'm from Minnesota, and I'm an improviser. So uh, mm. improv comedy, you know, in America is very much born of Chicago. Well, there's definitely a lot of corruption in the improv, improv comedy scene. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> now, Mayor Carter Harrison, he's the mayor of Chicago at the time. And Chicago Eagle wrote a 1904 article uh, that was titled Harrison to Blame. So, of course, Mm. that made me interested. (laughs) (laughs) The mayor, since his first election nearly seven years ago, has never bothered himself about enforcing city ordinances. Mayor Harrison was informed by the building commissioner, George Williams, months ago, that the theaters were violating the laws and ordinances. Did Harrison act upon this report by enforcing the laws and ordinances? No. He shirked his duty entirely and turned the whole report over to the city council. The city council Mm. was not elected to enforce the laws. Harrison was elected to enforce them. Oh, shit. passing the buck, as you say. He just didn't want to deal with it yeah and i think that a, a a part of that has to do with the holidays oh okay i and i don't want to put the holidays up send the holidays to jail because that is our our most favorite time of year the, do you, are you talking about the nancy myers film holidays <laughs> no i'm talking about the uh you okay. know christmas uh you know hanukkah just, just, just okay. the holiday the general season idea of holidays. Yeah. Got it. uh capitalizing during the holiday that uh, season that was a big thing um they advertised themselves as the latest in in state of the art you know fireproof construction and the o- owners anticipated opening the new theater in time to cash in for the holiday season of 1903 mm. but the work already scheduled at a breakneck breakneck pace was behind and the theater still under construction as Thanksgiving approached impatient owners opened the unfinished theater anyway on November 23rd (gasps) and continued finishing work as the theater opened through the holiday season ongoing painting and varnishing gave off volatile fumes and many of the theaters advertised fire protection features had yet to be installed it's the pilgrim's fault <laughs> I'm putting them on the board. Thank you. Okay, so Perfect. the pilgrims are on the board. <laughs> are we putting uh, uh, Santa Claus and <laughs> Nancy Myers? And Nancy Myers. <laughs> no. Okay. Now I'm going to go through a list of a bunch of things that went wrong, and and then we'll discuss. First, the asbestos curtain that Betsy brought up. Now this was supposed to fall drop completely and and allowing a sheet of flame to sweep over the audience. At first, this is according to uh, Patricia Marks, a firestorm of criticism. 
At first, the insurance inspectors blamed the snag on the performance wire, in particular the one that supported the Queen of Aerial Ballet during the performance, mm. uh, during her ac- acrobatics over the heads of the audience. During the inquest, oh. however, a stagehand... William McMullen testified that the fire had started when a, a carbon arc ignited the frayed curtain. So the curtain that's supposed to stop the fire. It ignited the frayed curtain as he changed the lights for the scene. Finally, the fire inspector determined that the asbestos curtain had failed to drop completely because a 20-foot-long reflector holding incandescent lights had been allowed to remain open and so impeded the curtain's fall. So the okay. curtain was meant to fall as yes, a safety precaution. Yes, on the fire. Yes, got it. Was, oh, but, on the fire. Yes, but that, so you know but, how you like stomp, uh, like air out. You know, take out the oxygen in a fire. That's like a way to put it out. Was it like gonna drop like a great big tent on the audience? On the stage, if there oh, was like the a st- fire on the stage. Another okay. thing was the fire. No fire escapes. Some theater goers made their way to uh, fire escape doors on the upper floors only to discover that the exterior fire escape ladders had not yet been installed. Holy crap! Yes. That's like a horror movie. Yes. Yes. This is just like, like you're right, Betsy, the triangle shirtwaist factory Everything fire. that could have gone wrong went wrong. Here's another thing. And, wait, and really quick, that yeah. has to do with, I mean, there's no way that someone could have come to check things out and been like, yep, this is cool. Like, check. Like, you guys are fine. No, like, I'm not going to find you anything or make you make any changes. Like, they would have seen that. And so to me, that points to what corruption and city officials right there. That's messed up. That feels mm-hmm. like a payoff, doesn't it? It's like, hey, don't don't ring any alarms. Let us open early so we can cash in on the holidays. Wait, and really quick, when had they opened? And was this five weeks after they opened, yes. you said? Yeah. <gasps> oh, my God. So it's directly related. Oh, gosh. Here's another thing that didn't work. No light on the exit signs. After the uh, the fire starts, an electrical engineer who had advocated uh, for signs to be illuminated by a source of light independent to the theater lighting system said that uh, this had been a critical point in the tragedy since the Iroquois electricity had gone out during the blaze and people couldn't find the exits. Not just that, but they had shielded the exits with curtains, I guess because they were ugly or, you know, for aesthetic purposes. Horrible. That is insane. So uh, another thing was improper door handles, right? So the way that doors now are done is a direct result of this tragedy. So now when Wait, you go to a Rebecca, theater- <laughs> are you about to tell us that there were no door what knobs door? on the <laughs> inside of that theater because i feel like <laughs> we're leading to that Is well that true? it's because they didn't uh, the the idea was that they didn't want they wanted to control i, I don't know am i right like. were there no they door def- knobs they didn't open out they didn't the doors didn't open out so as oh, bodies opened pressed in up against the the doors <gasps> it, it made it yeah oh my it's really god sad. so the, there was a guy, a hardware salesman, who was, had planned to be at the show that night, but for some reason um, wasn't there. He invented uh, the crash bar mechanism on doors that prevent entry from the outside, um, yet the, the major con- concern of ticket sellers, but could be easily open under duress and generations of that first design have been used in public buildings for over a century wow that's that like long bar it's that, that long bar that you just push to exit yeah. oh yeah. that thing you know oh. what i'm talking about yeah like in movie theaters they have them but you can't open them from outside wow okay. i always took those for granted me too, me too. never Wait, so again <laughs> that has to do with fire safety <gasps> yes so oh because of a throng of people it. are leaning on it it'll yes. just open oh my yes. god that's crazy. That this was another thing maybe we should put up on the board and I don't want to do it, but the actors. No. No, Rebecca. 
<laughs> they are the Sorry, most Chris. innocent, fragile flowers do you, of all. Do you do you do you realize the sacrifices those actors make in their craft? They give themselves their <laughs> essence. No, we do. We do have to put them up on the board. This is again Patricia Marks. While the management sought to blame the spread of the fire on on a draft from the front door opened by panic members of the audience, the coroner's inquest suggests rather that the draft was created by the actors and stagehand who opened a rear door to escape. Oh. So they okay. fed the fire basically because they opened a rear door. Yeah. I mean, I mean, they're paid to perform, right? Not to know everything about fire safety. Yeah. <laughs> Dear God, I hope so. I mean, I, if I had to lead the 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 fire, I guess I probably would have done an open. You would, you can do it all, baby. You're the rare like tr- double threat. Look in a, in, in a in an emergency scenario, if some rando got up and started telling me what to do, but and then Kate Blanchett got up and started telling me what to do, like I'm sorry, but I'm following Kate. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Wait, <laughs> Amanda, are you saying that Rebecca is a double threat? She can act and she knows about fire safety? Correct, <laughs> yeah. Betsy. <laughs> oh, I missed that. <laughs> and I'm a double threat. Oh, you can sing and dance? No, I can act and I can <laughs> manage a burning building. <laughs> oh, all right. Correct, correct. It's honestly one of the nicest compliments anyone has ever given me. <laughs> I'm impressed. No one's ever given me that compliment. So, great. So, <laughs> hang out with us more and uh, someday. <laughs> Two more things. I want to put up the checked out stagehands mm-hmm. because according to stage manager Bill Carl. Carlton, who actually was went to the show uh, with the the two thousand patrons who were there, while the other stagehands left the theater and went out for a drink. It was a spotlight operator who first noticed that one of the calcium lights seemed to have sparked a fire backstage. The cluttered area was full of fire fuel, wooden stage props, and oily rags. Oh, shit. Rags. Oily rags. Oily. The rags are yes. back because we got so mad at rags. The in rag the dealer. Tri- in the, the rag dealer at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. We want to put rags back up on the board. Rags are getting <laughs> another shot at going to the alarmist jail who knew so you know that and i i think just straight up not learning from the past because this isn't the 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 first fire there were a a bunch of fires between you know 19 like just in the year before that had really you know caused a lot of damage in chicago so Mm. so those stagehands were supposed to be backstage and they just like buggered off yeah, they're just like, you know, while the show goes on, like, we don't really have to do much work. We have to pause. Instead of cleaning up, they were just like, we'll come back and clean up later. <gasps> Boo. Okay, so let's take a quick break, and then we're going to start knocking things off the list. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online you'll experience the all-new Cerebral Way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Who's to blame for the Iroquois Theater fire? Is it the theater owners? The architect? City officials? Teenage ushers? George Williams, Ed Lachlan, jinxing the building, Chicago corruption, Mayor Carter Harrison, pilgrims, greed, the asbestos curtain, no fire escapes, no light on the exit signs, improper door handles, the actors, (laughs) the checked out stagehands, oil rags or not learning from the past before we start knocking things off i just want to point out that amanda uh wrote down <laughs> greed and then in parentheses wrote, took the liberty <laughs> <laughs> so didn't mention it to us just oh, wrote it just down herself it in there. <laughs> and then I in parentheses in there. gotcha <laughs> I mean, we were circling it. We were circling it. I thought, I just throw it up there. I know they're going to get to it eventually. You know what, Amanda? You've been producing this show for a long time. We'll let it slip. (laughs) So what can we knock off the bat? Well, all of these specific improper door handles, asbestos curtains, no fire escapes, no lights on the exit signs, maybe those can all be wrapped up into something else Mm -hmm. like corruption or the owners. Or Ed Laughlin. I mean, the the buck is supposed to sort of like he's kind of the the last checks and balances, and and Ed Laughlin really failed at that. Yes, I think yeah, you're right. He, and he's the just fire inspector. To remind, he's the fire inspector. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's right there in the title of your job, buddy. It's like you have to inspect the area for fire hazards so like he should have been like that asbestos curtain is being like blocked by that wire those lights need uh, those exit signs need lights you need to have fire escapes here and door handles and like don't maybe keep oily rags near your lights and stuff Betsy you would have done a better job you are a double threat yes you are (gasps) thank you Rebecca (laughs) (laughs) i'm so proud i'm so proud now i I feel like we can take the teenage ushers off too because of what we were saying it's like teenagers are dumb they're that's on the yeah we fold those into the theater owners you know for for or whoever's managing the theater yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. pilgrims could probably come off the list as well (laughs) all right but okay Now, and what about the actors? I'll take Chris's side on this. Yeah, the actors can come. I just yeah. feel like they sacrificed so much already. It's <laughs> just, by, just by exposing their souls yeah. for all to see. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> the oiled rags. If anything, that falls on the stage hands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not mm. learning from the past. I mean, come on, people. I mean, that's it's just... Go on. It's true, but it's you, you should definitely... Try and learn from the past, hence yes. the alarmist podcast. However, <laughs> it's a bit uh, broad, don't you think, for this particular? Uh... <laughs> I guess a lot of catastrophes could be solved by if we just learn from the past. Yeah, we could roll that into the podcast. owners. Yeah, yeah. If there was an alarmist podcast in 1903, now, which there could have been because radio was a thing. Yes, Betsy. <laughs> Remind me why the architect should be to blame. Hmm. Mm. They did I don't think we, we ever said they <laughs> Yeah, they I mean, be. they did. They were the ones who, like, designed the the fire safety. But it sounds I, like at every turn, whatever the architect would have put into place, other people thwarted with their sort of lack of attention to detail or just simple 
fire mm-hmm. safety. <laughs> I yes, I agree. It's like yeah. at the end of the day, the fire marshal really has to, or the inspector has to come in and be like, "You need this." Should we wrap uh, the fire inspector Ed Laughlin and the building commissioner George Williams into city officials so they kind of go together, or do we like keeping them separate? I'm a fan of what you just said. Yeah, because I would say, can we call them corrupt city officials? Oh, yes. And then maybe we'll take off Chicago Chicago corruption. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to think, and it's a bit of a stretch in fairness. We don't know if Ed Lachlan was just a bad fire inspector or if he was in somebody's pocket and getting paid off and part of the corruption in fairness to Ed. Well, wait, but but if Ed's job is to be like, this place is great. Yeah. He went and he saw that there were no fire escapes and was like, cool. See you later. Yeah. No, it's definitely um, suspicious. I think we got to, you got to just, believe just, this one I, I had just, something I, I, to do yeah. he turned a blind eye yes why are you defending ed <laughs> what's up with you i think chris is getting paid he's getting paid off he's getting paid off oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so okay so we have theater owners corrupt city officials jinxing the building mayor carter mm. harris greed and checked out stagehands I think we can take the stagehands out right now. It's bigger than them. I mean, and I. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No. Mayor yeah. Carter Harrison certainly fits under the umbrella of corporate Chicago city officials. Of the corrupt. Yeah. Because yeah. he's. I, I would agree. Did I just so, say corporate? You said corporate. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> I knew what you meant. Um, so jinxing the building, like, I get it. You should never do that. But I don't think that's what actually caused the, fu- you know. Yeah, the that's disaster. right up there with not learning from the past. Yeah. <laughs> like, but also, well, don't that be a lesson. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do these things or do them either way. <laughs> do learn from the past. Do, do not jinx. Do. Exactly. You're building. Mm-hmm. So we have theater owners, corrupt city officials, and greed. What are we going to send to the alarmist jail? And what is getting the big slap? Mm-hmm. I'll tell you where I'm at. Go. I think we give the corrupt city officials. I'm sorry. We send them to the alarmist jail and we, send, we give the theater owners the big slap. Because I think that they... We're going to try and get away with whatever they could get away with. And the the city officials are elected for a reason. Like that, mm. you know, person in the article said, it's like we elected them to make sure that we are safe. Right. Yeah, they are public servants yeah. who are there getting paid tax dollars, one would assume, even mm. back then. Um, and you're right. Theater owners, they're just there to make a buck. Uh, and they're going to try to get away with as much as they can. But the city officials are supposed to be the ones who are like, no, you can't be a dumb dumb. You have to protect the people th- who put us in our positions and pay for our, you know, salaries. Yeah, and and th- this is a city that has gone through multiple fires in the like last 30 years not to mention a really big one heard of it the great chicago fire um hello it was so great <laughs> <laughs> it was like the best chicago fire of all time <laughs> i can't believe we have we're kind of doing these out of order cuz i'm assuming we'll do that one yeah at we'll some do point. that <laughs> we'll, we'll do that later but you know it's like they got they have a magazine the city has a magazine called fireproof is that just for the city? It's not even a nationwide. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I love the idea, though, that it, there's so many fires in Chicago. They're like, we need our own fireproof magazine just for Chicago. It's so fiery here. We got to find out if it's a national uh, magazine or not. Chris is on it. Oh, my but God. Just Los saying, Angeles needs that magazine right honestly, now in 2021. Yeah, sadly, sadly, we do. Um, okay. I, I'm going to call it. Theater owners of the Iroquois Theater, you're getting the big slap. Corrupt Chicago city officials, you're going to the alarmist jail. 
So, Betsy, thank you so much for joining us and uh, helping us get to the bottom of who's to blame for the Iroquois Theater fire, a terrible tragedy. Like, uh, I-, I love justice. I love mysteries. I love crimes. And this was like, and I love, you know, t- triangles, shirtwaist, factory, fire, Titanic. It was all, it's all in there. It's all connected. And, you know, yes, ju- we're justice people, too. We're justice people, too. After the Iroquois Theater fire, new regulations were set in place. According to Smithsonian Magazine, within days, the city shuttered all theaters in its jurisdiction until they could be inspected and repaired to standard. And national headlines forced other cities across the country to subject their own theaters to similar scrutiny. Within weeks, Chicago's city council passed a new building ordinance by an overwhelming majority that compelled structural changes including new standards for aisles and exits, the use of fireproofing solution on scenery, connected fire alarms, limits on occupancy, the elimination of standing tickets, changes to sprinkler requirements, and rules for rooftop flues, like those nailed shut in the Iroquois. Among the enduring changes were the stipulations pertaining to the lighting of exits, aisles, and corridors, including the requirement that a red light be kept burning over the exits during performances. The Iroquois fire also inspired the development of panic bars found on emergency exits. According to DailyCoes.com, no city official served any jail time or paid any fines. The theater owners declared bankruptcy. Neither the victims injured in the fire nor the relatives of those who perished ever collected a dime for their losses. Vote for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist the on Twitter, at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week. We're discussing the Bernie Madoff scheme. The number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com.